0: Hi, this week's episode of The Transformationist is a deeply personal one, as we've had a diagnosis in my own family of dementia that has drastically changed the shape of our family life. This week's guest, Karen Buller, also had her life dramatically changed when her mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and then in her late 20s, Corinne became her full-time caregiver. This conversation is deeply personal, reflective, and I hope uh, an invitation to greater sympathy, empathy, and awareness of what it means to be a caregiver for those that we love. If you or someone in your
1: family or someone you care about is either facing or dealing with what it means to be a caregiver or to suffer with Alzheimer's or a dementia-related disease, please reach out to the
0: Alzheimer's and dementia organizations and associations in your area. They do have resources to
1: help are you thirsty for inspiration and curious about the life-changing process of transformation welcome to the transformationist Whether you already know the transformation you're looking for or you're looking for guidance on the way there, these stories of hope will give you practical tips, plenty of encouragement and an invitation into real, life-giving transformation, whether you're transforming culture or becoming more yourself. Your story is welcome here.
0: On this week's episode of The Transformationist, uh, it's a real privilege uh, to have Corinne Buller join us on this show to talk about uh, an incredibly personal, painful, but also um, uh, inspiring journey. Uh, Corinne is a small business owner, a counsellor, and also a full-time caregiver to her mother Martha. Martha was diagnosed in 2009 with Alzheimer's, and since 2013, Uh, Corinne has been her full-time caregiver, uh, an amazing journey for a daughter to go on with a mother, and I just want to thank you and honour you for being prepared to come onto the show and and share some of your experience. So thank you so much, and welcome to The Transformationist.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Um, so uh, I think uh, there's probably a bit of a common perception um, that uh, that Alzheimer's is something that affects older people and affects older people across the board. But you're actually, um, how old were you when Martha was diagnosed?
2: Um, I was like 25, I think, when she was diagnosed. Would that make sense? No, I must have been like 23 um Mm. but she had probably had symptoms about two years before she was actually diagnosed it was was just a long process to diagnose
0: right and so what was your I mean what was life like at the at the time had you moved away from home you know were you studying or just you know tell us a little bit um about the before that's usually the the invitation I like to to offer
2: yeah, so I um, I think at the time I was living in Auckland, um, I was working for Women's Refuge, and I was just living this life where, um, you know, like a really good single life, um, and then uh, and I, I didn't really have much to do with Martha at that stage, like I was in my early adulthood, and so I didn't go home very often, we didn't have much interaction and then I actually ended up moving to Christchurch um, after the earthquakes uh, to do some work down there and then kind of really didn't have anything um, to do with her. Again, was just living this really standard kind of life as a social worker um, with kind of no cares in the world. Mm.
0: And so uh, what then um, what was your, what was your first sort of response like when, when the diagnosis, um, happened? Were you, were you suspicious that something was, was already going on or, well, you know, did it come as a, as a surprise? I, I, I guess I, I asked that question out of, um, out of my own family story, um, when, when we received a diagnosis of dementia, uh, um, it, it, it didn't really come as a surprise at that point because mm-hmm. we'd already noticed some things that were happening. But um, what, was, what was it like for you?
2: Uh, yeah, I don't think it was a surprise because there had been a lot of things happening. Um, and the diagnosis actually came up. Um, she was asked to retire. And, the, and then her retirement was uh, medical retirement because of her Alzheimer's. And that's kind of how she got diagnosed. Um, and leading up to that there had been quite a few things where it was like the, these aren't normal things anymore um, like we all forget where our keys are and things like that but it was just happening too often um, mm. but I think when she was actually diagnosed I was like living this great life and so I was in a lot of denial about it um, and because I was angry and hurt and didn't really understand what was happening Um, and yeah yeah I guess I wasn't surprised but there was a lot of denial involved.
0: How long did it um, how long and where did that journey of denial take you?
2: Um, So I probably tried to deny it like even when I became a full-time carer, I was probably still in a bit of denial about it. Um, I do remember we, were, we went to India, uh, my mum and my dad and myself. And during that time was probably the first time where, where it became really um, crucial that actually Martha has Alzheimer's because she ended up getting lost one day on a walk. Um, oh, no. And India is not the place that you want to get lost. Um, and so that was probably the time where it really hit home like, okay, this is serious and not just like a casual, uh, she's kind of forgetting things now. Mm. Yeah. Because
0: mm-hmm. I guess that's because, you know, the, the, the story that we know or the narrative that we know of of Alzheimer's or any of the kind of dementia related diseases is is the forgetting, the forgetting of things. But actually, you know, when you when you start to when you start to forget things, all sorts of other things also then start to unravel, including, you yeah. know, your ability to 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 look after yourself. And um so tell me a little bit about what led then to um, you, you're now living back in Auckland and you are um, Martha's full-time caregiver. Um, tell me a little bit about um, the, the story or, or what happened and how you, um, how you came to be doing that now.
2: Uh, yeah, cool. So my dad passed away um, in June 2013 mm. and the, the day he passed away, I became Martha's full-time caregiver. So up until that point, he had been caring for her. Um, and I was actually living in Christchurch at the time. So, like, immediately flew up to Tauranga, where my parents were living, and um, uh, at that stage, Martha was still quite well. Like, she was still able mm. to do a lot of things for herself. And um, But the kind of plan at that time was to find, like, an assisted living for Martha. Mm-hmm. Um, and me, I was like, cool, I get to return to my really easy life in Christchurch and Martha will be in assisted living. Um, and then kind of like the more I looked into that with her over the next few months after my dad passing, we just I wasn't coming up with any really good solutions. And um, Alzheimer's is like a degenerative disease. So at that point, you don't actually know what stage she will get to or what level of care she will need Mm. Um, and it was really hard predicting that so we ended up moving to Christchurch her and I we sold like our family home in Tauranga and we moved to Christchurch and we kind of did all these fun things like I left my job and we did a lot of travelling yeah and then I, I still kind of had in mind that I wanted to put her into somewhere full-time but like the further I got down the track of actually being her caregiver the harder that reality came for me um, mm. and I guess like my attachment to her grew even more and um, and then we kind of just like I was kind of just resigned to the fact that, like, yeah, I will be her caregiver now, um, and yeah, and then we ended up leaving Christchurch. I moved to Auckland for a job, um, and and kind of never left.
0: So, tell me a little bit about what were the what were the things that made it difficult for you to relinquish her care. Um, you know what was it that what was it that sort of struck a note in you, or started to um, to overtake the desire to get back to you know some semblance of of what a normal life had been before. Hmm.
2: That's a good question. Um, uh, there was probably a, quite a few contributing factors. Uh, I don't I don't know that looking in Christchurch for. Um, like a full-time care for her was was a good idea. And because I was living in Christchurch, that was kind of my option. But um, Christchurch and Tauranga are so different and like the populations are really different. And so I just wasn't finding like the cultural match for Martha there. Mm. Um, and then there was also, uh, I guess I left home when I was 18 and I moved like a really long way away from my parents. And I kind of realized I'd never actually had a relationship with Martha as my mother, um, like as an adult. Um, right. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we we didn't have a relationship. Like I would see her, you know, four times a year, um, or maybe even less than that. Um, but I think I became invested in having this relationship with her and trying to grow from that, um, and then as uh, the time went on that relationship changed um, and I be- i've become very attached to her and so like letting her go into full-time care um, just became a harder and harder thought process and it became very painful um, and my uh, for a time my entire identity uh, became wrapped up in being a caregiver and so the thought of like handing that over uh, became like almost impossible. Mm, mm-hmm.
0: um, ca- can we talk about that then for a minute? Because yeah, um, obviously, I mean, you you you're involved vocationally in caring for people. You you had trained and were working as a social worker, mm-hmm. and so did that transition. Did that transition to then caring uh, for your mum was that and was that an easy one? You know, to make. Uh, or, or was it different because it was caring for your mum?
2: Um, yeah, I think it was probably easy because it's in my nature to do so. Um, so yeah, like my whole career has been dedicated to supporting people and helping people. Um, and I guess I didn't maybe anticipate like the difficulties of being a carer. And so it was just kind of this really easy um, thing to do at the start. Um, although in saying that, I had a lot of people saying um, like, you need to put her into care. Um, and there was almost like a defiance in wanting to care for her as well. Like, no, I'm going to prove you wrong. Like I can do this and this is my life. Um mm. But, Is that yeah, a cultural yeah, thing? again, I find myself in caring roles and I'm a counsellor uh, now. And again, it's like a repetition of a caring role.
0: Mm-hmm. And so um, you talked about for a time, all of your identity being wrapped up in and, and being Martha's caregiver. Um, are you, are, you know, are you talking about that in, in a way that, you know, did it become unhealthy at, at a certain point and have had you, have you had to adjust your sense of, you know, who you are in relation to caring for Martha but also being Martha's daughter but also being, you know, your own independent person? What's, what's, the, what's the tangle of identity? Because I imagine it's still probably shifting and changing
2: yeah (laughs) um yeah so I I mean still it occurs where like my identity becomes very wrapped up in her but uh, there was probably probably about a six-month period in my life um I lost a job and uh a lot was going on in my life and kind of like my sole purpose was to care for Martha and um and and it did become very unhealthy, and she became like my only protective factor um, in the world because I thought, oh, if I'm not caring for her, what else would I do, and who am I, and what's even the purpose of being here? Um, and I don't feel like that anymore, but I certainly do have aspects sometimes where I get so um, immersed in her life and advocating for her, that I really forget who I am and what I have to offer. Um, and I become quite resentful of that. And people often um, poke Martha's needs ahead of mine or, like, a lot of the focus goes towards her. Um, so it's easy to get caught up in in the narrative of, like, you are just a caregiver. Right. You're a woman. Um, you have a business, you're a counsellor, you're a friend, you're all these other things as well.
0: Mm. Is it? Um, I mean, as I listen to you talk, I hear parallels with friends of mine who who talk about raising young children mm-hmm. and how they lose themselves in the role of mother. Um, have you have you felt any of those sort of similarities? Do those parallels draw true for you?
2: Yeah, definitely. In conversations. That I've had with parents, like, oh yeah, I totally, I totally understand um, that loss of identity, and uh, like all you're doing is giving to this one, one thing that is um, maybe at times seems quite ungrateful or is quite difficult to continue to do, but you actually don't have a choice. Mm.
0: So, and um, I wanted to ask, um, is do you think it's when you talked about people encouraging you or demanding of you that um, that you would that you should put Martha in full time care, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, and going back to two thousand and thirteen, that's that's quite uh, that's quite a long time ago now. And certainly, um, you know, you you've talked about the unpredictability of the disease mm-hmm. and how it's hard to know exactly what you know what stage somebody will be at. But do you think is it a, is it a cultural? Expectation um, is it is it just a, a mandate of the health system that we live in that 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 was people's first um, response or priority in terms of how caring for Martha should go?
2: Yeah, I think um, yeah, I, I think all of that. I think definitely a cultural response. Um, my aunt she really encouraged me to put Martha into care and. Um, she had actually put her own mother into care. And I know that there was like a bit of friction around that. Um, So yeah, I think there's like this cultural response that, yeah, we do, like this is the way society runs and we just put people into care who have Alzheimer's because Alzheimer's is a really difficult disease. Um, I think what people don't understand is like all the beautiful things that come from Alzheimer's and there's only focus on the negative. Um. Yeah, but I, I definitely think we're a society that is designed to put people into care and not care for them in the home. Mm.
0: And do you think um uh, does your do you think your um uh, ethnic background uh, you know contributes to that as well, or is that or is it the same whether or not people are you know white or of um. Or of Pacific Island or Indian descent, does it it make a difference? Um, Or do you think it's just carte blanche? That's what we do?
2: Um, I do think it makes a difference. Um, I think, like when you look at Pacifica whānau, they will often care for people in the home. Um, And same with Māori. But I think New Zealand very much, our society very much pushes people to put them into care with no real reason, um, but just that like that's the normal thing to do and that's what we've done for a long time, so we should just do that. Um, mm. And then but there's on, on the flip side of that, there's a lot of maybe cultural shame if you do decide to do that, if you do decide to put them into care. So it's kind of like this weird lose-lose situation
0: yeah uh, yeah a really unfortunate lose-lose um yeah <laughs> which i think is you know and 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 we only have i guess the experience we only have i guess the experience of the culture within which we live right to compare it yeah. to so i don't know what what it would be like in other parts of the world um but but certainly um yeah certainly that seems it's it's a curiosity to me to to understand what plays into uh, what plays into that as being a cultural norm. You mentioned um, and talked about that there are aspects of Alzheimer's um, that are that are beautiful that often get overlooked and the focus on the negative. And, and I want to talk about that, but I'd, I'd love to talk about it um, through, I guess, understanding a little bit of what your journey as a caregiver has been like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and perhaps, you know, w- maybe you could describe um, what it was like in the beginning uh, to be a caregiver um, and what what that journey of caregiving has looked like as time has passed, and how it's how it's changed.
2: Yeah. Um, so in the beginning, it was I, I was dealing with the grief of losing my dad, um, mm. and and that that was a really hard grief to work through because Martha and I weren't gr- experiencing grief in the same way. And um,
0: it was did did Martha um, did she was she was she cognizant enough at that point that she um, that she knew that her husband had passed or, or
2: how how was that for her? Yeah, it, immediately she did know, but um, I mean, one of the things with Alzheimer's is like trauma can often affect how quickly you go downhill, and so mm. very quickly. Um, Yeah, I I would say within three months, she kind of had maybe disconnected from him in quite a big way. And so while I was still going through this huge grieving process, she wasn't in that space anymore. Um, And like wouldn't even kind of know that he was her husband at times or... um, Or, or would forget that he had passed away, which is like a really difficult conversation to have with somebody. Um,
0: and especially when you are in the midst of that grief process yourself yeah. to have to relive that that element of, of trauma is, is I can imagine
2: really really challenging. Yeah. And then um, and because those conversations highlight like oh, you've got Alzheimer's. great. I've already lost a parent physically and now I'm losing one emotionally and mentally and all of that that side. So, yeah, that was a really difficult kind of first three months, I guess, of grieving for my father and being a caregiver. Mm. Um, and then we had, like, maybe about a year where I left my job and it was amazing because <laughs> I'd never... <laughs> Uh, not worked. <laughs> right. And we just had like, we had so much fun. We um, did a lot of traveling. We went to like America and Europe and um, we spent a lot of time together. And Martha was really capable at this stage. Um, and so uh, her memory loss was frustrating, but it wasn't, I wasn't like in this full on caring role where I was having to do things for her all the time. Um she was still able to kind of, like, help herself and do dishes and be left alone for good periods of time. Um, so I still kind of and so maintained did that. A, sorry, go on. <laughs> oh, I still kind of maintained a level of independence in our relationship.
0: Yeah, that was what I was going to ask about, you know, <laughs> that, that that ability to 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 care for someone but not be entirely consumed by their needs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so when did when did that start to um, when did that start to change?
2: Um, we moved to Auckland, and that and that was probably quite a big um, trauma for her as well. Just like the shifting, and when we finally moved to Auckland, we kind of um, moved around a lot, so we weren't anywhere stable. Um, and that was for about six months that we were here. And so I think there was a lot of trauma around that time um, for her and the not knowing what we were doing. And I really started to notice she would go downhill. Um, she went downhill quite rapidly during that time uh, and needed to have help, like showering and dressing, um, asked a lot more questions on repeat. So... It was almost like relentless sometimes, the amount of questions she would ask. Um, and I was also working at the time, so I was dealing with the stress of work and the stress of her as well. Um, mm.
0: And I think that's another one of the, the misnomers, perhaps, is that um, when, when we think about Alzheimer's and we think about who, who bears the brunt of that frontline caregiving, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think we often think about it as being you know husbands or wives. Yeah. Um, you know, where one partner one partner is suffering from the disease, and the primary but the primary caregiver is is usually you know at that stage able to devote a reasonable amount of time mm. to care. They're not necessarily in a career building mode or in a study mode or you know any yeah. of those those aspects. And so, quite quite different then to be. I mean, how did you? What made it possible, or what were the challenges that you had to? overcome to be able to even be working and, and still be be caregiving for Martha at that time?
2: Um, so I had a really good support network, which was amazing. Um, and I had some like really close key friends who were really supportive because the uh, other thing for me is I'm an only child, so I don't have any whānau support. And Martha's whānau... Um, are all older as well. So they mm. weren't available. And my um, dad's family, they don't live in Auckland. So um, whilst they were great support, like through messenger and phone calls, they couldn't physically support us. So I had some great friends and um, we were having carers come in, like every day into the house to help care for Martha, um, do her like help her shower, help her get dressed, help her have breakfast. Um, And then she also belongs to like this incredible day program, um, which she's been going to for like five years now or four years, Um, which, yeah, she goes there almost every day from like nine till three. Uh, So that was a huge, like a huge weight off my time Mm. was being able to take, take her to that.
0: that's remarkable um and so what does uh what does caregiving for Martha look like now you know how um I mean I've I've enjoyed I've enjoyed being able to um go in and grab coffee and a drink with you and and Martha is part of that 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 kind of daily experience Mm -hmm. um but she's she's no longer um she's no longer super speech forward right yeah and so, w- how has that transition been
2: for you? Um, yeah, it, it's one of those things where you don't like you don't know it's happened until somebody really points it out to you, right? Because I'm mm-hmm. so close to it, I don't actually see all the big changes, and so I just get really used to what's happening. And Martha and I have like kind of our own language and the way mm-hmm. that we communicate. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's interesting to look back and be like, oh, yeah, so maybe, you know, two years ago, she lost um, the ability to speak in full sentences. Um, and so that's been quite challenging. And, and she, I mean, she's gone downhill a lot. I, I do most things for her these days. And... Uh, I remember when I kind of first started caring, and during the journey, I would set these kind of milestones like, okay, when this happens, I'll think about putting Martha into care. Mm. Um, and then that thing happens, and you don't actually have time to decide in that moment, like, oh, I, I need to put Martha into care at this stage. You kind of just get on and do it. Um, mm-hmm. So Martha needs like full support, um, like with all of her showering, eating, toileting getting dressed everything um and I guess like I had set this benchmark of oh yeah when she needs help toileting I would consider putting her into care but that time has come and gone and I'm still caring for her because I'm just so used to it now um yeah
0: yeah and so what are some of those things that, are, that you speak of that are the beautiful moments that have come through this journey that you, that you wouldn't have had to experience um, or you wouldn't have, have had the opportunity to experience if you had put her into care all those years ago?
2: Yeah, there are so many things and it makes me quite emotional to like think and reflect on that um, because for sure if I wasn't caring for Martha, I would most likely be living in Christchurch, working in this really average job um, and living this life that was fine, but it was by no means fulfilling. Mm. Um, And uh, I was living like this quite emotionally detached life where um, that made me really, really good at my job because I was dealing with some really terrible things, but I also didn't have a lot of emotional feeling day to day um and so i guess that's like been the biggest gift from that from this experience of being her caregiver is like i've actually had to learn how to deal with my emotions (laughs) and have them Mm -hmm. and experience like the lowest of lows but the greatest of highs um and i've had like the time to connect with myself and figure out who am i as a person which um Like I started working when I was 15 and kind of was on the pathway to just continue working. And maybe I would be the manager at where I was working now, but it wouldn't have been this kind of fulfilled life that I have now where I'm completely in touch with who I am. And Martha and I have this really beautiful relationship that is at times challenging, but it's kind of like more than I could have ever hoped for from my relationship, I think, with my parent as an adult. Um, mm. Yeah, and, and like, I, I've just been witness to some really beautiful things through Martha. Um, you know, I've witnessed her communication with God and, like, uh, in this real spiritual realm that I guess, like, that's a real gift to me and um, maybe sounds, like, weird for people, but I've certainly been, you know, a witness to the presence of God through Martha, um, and that's been really life changing. Like, literally changed my life and who I am as a person was um, her connection with the spiritual realm. Uh, I so desperately needed in my life, mm. and so, like, by her kind of losing all of the bullshit of. Um, her of the thoughts and the clutter of our minds and by having this kind of mind that um, doesn't have anything like that she's connected only to love most of the times um and i and i get that like i'm the direct receiver of that and that's incredible like that's Mm. so powerful
0: yeah so, I mean, describe because most most people listening to this episode will have never and they will have never met Martha. Mm-hmm. Um, but but perhaps um, perhaps you could. I mean, can you can you describe her because she she is a she's a woman like um, like I've never met probably in terms of and even though we've never shared sentences um, in the moments that I've that I've spent time with Martha, you know, she really is just full of joy and laughter and um but yeah maybe can you can you describe her
2: (laughs) yeah maybe I can try um I think uh, I think I'm really lucky because Martha is so happy and that's not always the case for people who have Alzheimer's there can be a lot of anger um Mm. but yeah I I guess how would I describe her like if you For me, it's like the only thing that she knows is love and kindness and happiness. Um, And that just like constantly runs through her entire body all the time. Um, And so she's totally happy to hug strangers and um, look people directly in the eye and hold them. Um, And it's just like there's something so warm and inviting about her. I think that's that's what it would be. Like if you were to think of Martha, it would just be like the person that you most enjoyed seeing because they were so warm and open would be how I would describe Martha. Yeah.
0: Um, what do you think uh, what do you think has helped you to to journey through this space? Um, you know we, we spoke a little bit about about the the unraveling and then the, the recreation of your identity and how that you know ebbs and flows mm-hmm. um, through this journey um, and we talked about you know the support networks and um, and you know just just in the last few minutes you started to sort of touch on how it's changed you as a person um, and perhaps how life is different now than, than what it would have been mm-hmm. Um But what do you think some of the the lessons are or, you know, the the things that you've realised along the way that have actually helped you navigate?
2: Um, I think one of the big things for me uh, was I was like a, I'm not really religious, but I'm a spiritual person. Like, that was kind Mm -hmm. of my narrative. Um, And I think, like, through Caring for Martha, I was able to maybe articulate that better and realise, like, oh, we're not alone. This isn't, it's not just us here. Um, There is some type of divine intervention, creation, um, that is here supporting us. And, like, all of those Tumblr quotes about, like, you know, nothing's a coincidence and, like, this is your path, and all that is like it's true. Um, mm-hmm. And I think being able to like realize that, like, oh, this is actually the thing that you're meant to be doing, like, this was destined for you, and you're supported in a way that is, um, you know, more than this physical realm is what has enabled me to continue at this point in my life um mm. and, and then just like the the pure joy that i get from being with martha and being with somebody who only knows love um and we have our challenging times but like knowing that and knowing that i probably won't actually experience that again from anybody else um like that keeps me motivated to continue because like what a what a joy what a gift to have something like that given to me um, like, what, you know, why do I get that? Why do I deserve that? And it comes with the challenges of being a caregiver, but it also comes with, like, these other, those beautiful things about, yeah, connection and understanding, like, what love is and understanding what the universe means and what it wants from me. Mm.
0: Do you think that, that those that those lessons and insights um you know, are they setting you up for a future that that has to inevitably at some point um, n- no longer include Martha, you know, present day to day?
2: Yeah, definitely. And when I look at kind of um, the work that I do and the business that I run, um, uh, I can kind of start to see the threads of all of it in there um, and how actually I use uh, you know my skills as a caregiver to be a counsellor and um, how I really use love to um, fuel my business uh, which are all things that like I've needed to cultivate because I know that one day I'll be in a life without Martha but I still need her essence to exist within me Um, and I guess these are the ways that I capture that and like allow her legacy to live on through me. Mm. Yeah. Do
0: you think about the future a lot?
2: Um, I try not to. <laughs> depending, <laughs> on, <laughs> depending on depending uh, on what moon phase we're in. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's, it's one of those things where I, I'm quite excited about the future, which is a nice change. Um, I wasn't always excited about it. Uh, a future without Martha seems, like, impossibly hard at this stage, um, but I know that I'm being given the resources to live a life without her anyway, um, and without her, like, earth side, because I know she'll always be there in some capacity anyway. Um, mm. I think, again, coming back to, like, my identity being so wrapped up in being a caregiver will be a real huge adjustment. Um, and even when she goes into respite care, after about three days, I, I get a bit, like, antsy about, oh, what am, what am I doing? What should I be doing? Um, so I think there'll be a really big adjustment stage for me.
0: Mm.
2: But I do think about the future, and I am – I'm looking forward to it which is refreshing.
0: Ah, I think it's I think it's really beautiful. I'm curious um I'm curious as to whether or not you think you've you know have you as we as we talk um and I'm probably even more reflective in this interview than I am in so many of the conversations that I have but I think mm-hmm. Partly because um, there's a, there's a spaciousness to this conversation mm-hmm. um, because there's so much there's so much grief in it, but there's also you know so much joy. Um, but I'm curious, you know, do you think that do you think it's a privilege to have the opportunity to perhaps both live and love and grieve, you know, with your parent before? eventually losing them, I, you know, that's just something that uh, that occurs to me as, you know, perhaps it's more of a gift in a culture that that really struggles to, to deal with death or to deal with, mm-hmm. you know, passing. Um, I'm curious as to whether or not, you you know, you feel grateful for having had the extra time um, to be able to, you know, process and then really live with Martha.
2: Yeah, 100%. Uh, I feel extremely grateful um to be given like such an introduction into life um hmm. and to have this beautiful relationship with my mom which I wasn't going to have you know if she was well we weren't going to have this relationship um because I would have been living my life and she would have been living hers um mm. and, and I get to live in love with her and discover the parts of myself that are also the parts of her. Um, And, yeah, I think that's a truly beautiful gift. I mean, Alzheimer's sucks, and I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But I think if you can embrace it and accept it and move with it, it will offer you more than you've ever expected in your entire life. Um, And that, like... Yeah, you will always learn something from it and that's like truly incredible. I'm so grateful for the lessons that I've learned and continue to learn all of the time.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. Um do you, you know what's the support what's the support structure like now in terms of you know do you do you still feel because you're young. You're you're so young. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and um, and I, me- I mean I that in a super flattering way, but you know you really are so young for for being somebody who is a primary for who, being somebody who's a primary caregiver. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel do you feel like you have a place of belonging amongst you know the community of people, the community of caregivers, um, whether that's you know in
2: Auckland or or the broader community? Um, I do and I don't. I, I've really struggled in Auckland um, to have to find that community, and I probably don't in Auckland actually have a community um, of caregivers or people in my position and um, that support me. Uh, but I do have incredible friends um, who are always there to talk to me about what's going on. Uh, I think like social media has been amazing, and I built some incredible connections because of social media. Um, And I think that has been the way that I've been able to connect with other carers who are young um, as well and in my position uh, to support each other and to be like, oh, my gosh, like this thing is shit or this thing is amazing. Um, That's probably been my biggest way of connecting with other caregivers, I would Mm. say. Yeah
0: and yeah like so 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 important to find those connections and to find those yeah. um, those similarities or those you know just the, just the opportunity to be to be able to complain about the same stuff at the end
2: yeah. of the day <laughs> 100% <laughs> Oh,
0: too funny um so uh, you you decided to launch a business mm-hmm. in the midst of, of all of this because you you know you you are from my perspective anyway a wonderful example of somebody who is um, brilliantly alive and engaged in the act
2: mm-hmm.
0: of living um, you know despite despite a circumstance that is that is perhaps trying um, you know you, what was the what was the inspiration behind you know deciding to start a business you know, at the same time, you know, you're um, you know, that you, you you've just got you've got so much on your plate and you decided that you wanted to start yeah. a business soon. <laughs> um uh yeah,
2: my, my business was an interesting start. It kind of stemmed from a very spiritual experience. Um which again was something that really changed my life. Uh, when it came into it, and um, I was kind of uh, maybe forced into starting this business by the universe. It (laughs) was kind of like, "Mm, you have to do this thing. The universe is coercing you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I also, I guess I talk about it in terms of, I lived quite a few years after my dad passed away, whilst I was being a carer, not really living. Um, Mm. I was just existing. And at times I was barely existing. And um, when I kind of made the decision to like, hey, I've actually made a choice about caring for Martha now um, because it had been this thing that had been forced upon me. And I made the decision like, "Mm, you're going to be her carer. Uh, that was like the shift for me where I was like, cool, I actually get to catch up on all the life that I missed for a couple of years. Um, And I'm still catching up on that, you know, like those few years where I did nothing that filled my soul up uh, and starting a business was one of those things.
0: Isn't it? I just think it's such an interesting it's such an interesting con- um, conundrum. It's a paradox, but it's a beautiful one. Mm-hmm. That in um, that in living through such a uh, such an experience, and just res- being responsive and leaning into, you know, what was in front of you, that you've actually, you know, come back to life or learn to live in an entirely different way. Um, yeah. You know, and I think that that's a. I think that's a real gift and I'm so, um, I'm so thankful for you, you know, just to take the time to, you know, talk about your experience and to share some of, some of that insight because, you know, my hope is that, um, my hope is that it will be hopeful and inspiring for others, you know, that, that Mm -hmm. you don't, you don't necessarily have to wait to be faced with a circumstance, um, like you've been faced, faced with, um, to actually choose to, to lean in, you know? Yeah. And, um. And yeah, and I just think you know it's wonderful because I think it is so easy. It's so easy to, to to view the relationship between parents and children as one of um, one of dependence, and then pushing out into independence, mm-hmm. um, and then from that moment, you know, you're you're sort of chasing down your own train, um, and yet this, you know, your story just painted a completely different picture, um, and even the idea that you know beyond just. Um, clearly, your parents raised you to be independent. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> clearly, um, but but you know, in, in such a roundabout way, you know, it, I it, I will just be so fascinated to see um, what what independence looks like again in the future. Um, yeah. Now that there's been this beautiful period of interdependence. Yeah. Right. Yeah, me too. Which which is exciting. It's really exciting. Yes. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story. Um, You know, I hope that um, the other thing that I think is really lovely um, is that I hope that from this people, um, maybe people who are intimidated by um, those who are um, suffering from Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. or um, those who are caring for, you know, I hope maybe people um, will find that a little bit less intimidating. Yeah. Um, you know because a hug from Martha is um, it's it's a good and beautiful thing and she yeah. has a way of bringing out the music and the smiles um, but what I think is lovely is that you also have a way of doing that um, and uh, and I thank you for the work that you do and for the care that you give to Martha and for bringing your story to the transformationist
1: today
2: thank you for having me It's a real pleasure
1: Hi, it's Tash and it's time for the credits. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Transformationist. Please subscribe, rate and review this episode wherever you listen to it and share it with a friend. Visit thetransformationist.org for links to the resources mentioned in this episode and to subscribe to our email updates. You can also share your transformation story with us there and I would love to hear from you. As always, this episode is produced by Michael Yoda at Truthwork Media. Music is by Hans Van Vliet. For more about me and the transformation work I do, check out the website. This show is proudly made possible by Solar Feeder Consulting.